I went to King's Spa over this trip. Yeah. And one of the things that I was curious about was, you know, they have the big sudatorium, the giant, like, 240-degree, like, fucking burn your fucking eyeballs off, don't wear your glasses or it'll melt your head kind of, right? And when I was in Chicago, um, when I would go, I would go in there and I, I, I did, I was almost scared to go into that fucking thing because it was so goddamn hot. And I was like, oh. And did they I have would, a polar plunge pool too? Huh? Did they have a plunge pool for the, like the freezing cold well, ones too? Well, in that one, they, they have an ice room ice right room. next to it. So that's how that works. But, um, so I, you know, it's like, but used to, I'd go in there and it was like, oh, I can only handle it for like a minute. Oh my God, it's so fucking hot. I think I'm going to die. Well, I wondered after three and a half years of living in the desert, how that would affect me. And so Joe and I were at the game spot and we went in and I sat down and Joe looked at me and said, how are you doing? I said, well, it's like taking out the garbage. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. uses bad words. If you don't like bad words, maybe say listen to it. <laughs> and we are here in the Cornerstone Cafe in, right across the street from Webster Place and Pequod's Pizza. We are in Chicago. Welcome back to Chicago, buddy. Yeah, it's been an interesting week. We were going to record at the Haymarket, but we were it was loud and we were all way too there drunk. Was too much to drink. Well, I drank a lot. I, I ate a lot of pretzel. I had a really good wings. I miss that place. I know. That's why. Why do you think it's really good? It's delicious. I had a double burger, like just a cheeseburger that they have, and it was just fucking phenomenal. And tots, and yeah, tots. Damn right. This episode of Little Apecast is brought to you by Haymarket. And Cornerstone Cafe, because we're actually recording in that place. Get them to give us money, though, instead of us just saying that it's sponsored. So I don't really want the money. Just give us free breakfast. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, I got modest goals. I would mind some free parking. Parking in this city. Hey, I got to tell you. Well, no, it's like that's that that's thing. It's been a very. This has been an interesting trip, because I didn't really know why. I came to Chicago this week. You know uh, you came to Chicago. Well, I mean, I wanted to I mean, visit. Friends. I mean, I want to visit friends. I wanted to see you. I wanted to see, see Jake. Um, I wanted to see Joe and Buddy. You know, and then there were some things like I wanted. But to, there was a discovery, an aha moment of oh, this. There's a takeaway. Yeah. Well, I didn't Chicago. I didn't expect in my in my most overly dramatic as I tend to want to be. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, I realized uh, Tuesday as I was doing my let's go downtown and go to Millennium Park and you know and then go to WBEZ see the way wake don't tell me guys that kind of stuff. Um, I realized oh um, this is this is me searching for clarity in a world that no longer seems to make sense to me. And one of the things that I realized that day. I'm walking, I mean, I've walked 15 miles that day, but I'm walking, I'm at Millennium Park. I run into my old boss um, at Millennium Park in the park on the sidewalk. Yeah. I mean, where I'm, I'm going to his office and all of a sudden here he comes and he looks at me and goes, oh my God. So, you know, we had our, we had our conversation, but at some point when I was walking around, I'm by myself, I realized, holy shit, apparently for the last six months, it's the Stephen Wright joke. 
you don't, you know, when you sit, when you're sitting on the, the chair and you're, you're balanced on the last two legs and you all, yeah. you feel like at any moment you're just going to fucking go over the side. Yeah. And his, his joke is, I feel that way all the time. Yeah. Apparently, I've been feeling that way for six months and didn't even realize it. a really cool thing to me about how after this day of walking around and running into people, and not to cut the story, the story short, but... No, it's fine. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, correct me if I'm paraphrasing too paraphrasingly. <laughs> what? But it's early in the morning, gang. We usually don't record. I haven't had my coffee yet. That's true. Um, you, know, you said that you felt like gravity changed. It felt like gravity worked. And for the first time, it was like real. Yeah, like yeah. for the first time in six months, it's like, oh, I don't feel like the world's tilting on an axis. Gravity is working, and my feet are solidly on this ground. The I don't feel is, like is tilting on an axis. Well, That's yeah, not whatever. But I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like at any moment I was going to get tossed into a fucking wall or thrown into traffic. Yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah. This is what gravity actually feels it's, like, and that was unusual. I didn't expect. And that. that's a really great way to put it because it, it made me think about because you haven't been here two four years, four years, three and a half. Yeah, I mean, it was February it's of last February yeah. of 2019 was the last time I yeah. had foot on ground in Chicago, Illinois, and so it's been interesting. And post the breakup, you came, you know, like you come back to a city where you spent. The majority of your adult life 30 years yes yeah. formative parts of your life are i mean well well since i was 23 parts, years yeah. old i've been i lived here it for 30 like, years after i had the big breakup with three and the ziggler death and all that like, after all that shit i i didn't go to vegas for like two years I yeah had, i used to go back every year yeah because that was your home how long were you in vegas before then 10 years 10 years okay yeah that's a significant 20 yeah, in that in that time uh, that's a pretty significant amount of time yeah. at 18 yeah okay and i had a home that like, I, it was my home like and those like that your 20s are formative yeah well it's a big deal so i hadn't been back when i finally went back like two years later it was like oh okay that's who i am that's right this is who i am again okay i remember Okay, I'm fine. I get it now. Because like, I felt like that you put in words. Gravity was all sorts of off. I didn't know who the hell I was. When I came back, like, okay, this. Now I remember who I am and where my feet belong. So when I came back to Chicago, I just had this, like, different sense of self. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was way more grounded. Yeah, well, Bob, Bob said a very funny thing to me when I was driving in. Because, again, you know, the, the concept of the long road trip. I don't even know how to put into words, and maybe one day I will, um, in a way that doesn't make me want to vomit. But the 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 real clarity and perspective, and just almost like meditative quality of getting on a highway and driving, you know, seventy miles an hour, eighty miles an hour, and just chilling out, it really gives me a sense of peace that I can't think of anything else I do that does. Road trips cure all the nails. It's amazing. Or it and stays it off for a little bit. No, and well, that's the thing is it gives me perspective, you know? When you're in a situation and you're getting up every day and you're dealing with whatever that situation is, and this is not to say living with my folks, helping with my dad, all that kind of stuff, substitute teaching three days a week just so I can pay. None of that is bad. I mean, in fact, it's all pretty good given my circumstances. But when you get locked in, it's hard to see the forest from the trees. And even on the highway, and you're going someplace a thousand miles away, it just opens things up and you can kind of see 
where you're at, where you've been, all that kind of stuff. Well, you can't help but see the forest. Yeah. You're driving by too fast. You see the details of the tree, and that's kind of what opens the mind out, opens the mind up to imagination and thought. Yeah. What is beyond those trees that are beyond the highway? Yeah. What's my what's what, out there? Yeah. What's ahead? And wow. then you start doing math, and I've got I need to get gas soon. Like your brain it forces your brain to chill out and think. Yeah. It's what it's what scrolling on our phones is preventing us from doing. Like almost every day, I that this should be a posting. Like I don't know why I haven't heard it. But I was talking to Jake. He's not going to remember. Things. Yeah. But I was walking in around the neighborhood, a stroller. I was just fine because he's like looking up, you know, just in the best. I was like, Jacob, make sure to always look up when you're walking around. Like, walk around the neighborhood, like, don't just look at the sidewalk, don't look here, but like, look up at like the roof lines and the tree lines. And it just, it, it makes you brain think differently. Well, it's it, 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 out of your shit. Well, what it does is it puts you in a position where the world is not your movie. And you're the yeah. star. It means that there's just a lot of other movies going on, and you're part of that. Or it you know. is your movie, but it's a grand sweeping movie, like yeah. Giant. It's Lawrence of Arabia rather than uh, Room. Yes, there you go. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no. But one of the things Bob said that I thought was interesting he says, when you get to Chicago, you're gonna you're gonna remember who Don Hall was before. And I didn't know what that meant. I mean, it sounded fine. It's like, I, I, I mean, on his surface, I knew what that meant. But I didn't really know what that meant. One of the things that, again, with Bob, when we got to Haymarket, he, he, I got there early because I get everywhere early. And he got there early. And we're hanging out outside on Randolph and Halstead. If you early, are you just now on time? Yeah, I think so, okay. for, for he and I. But we're standing outside, and he goes, wow. And the way he put it was really interesting. He said, wow, I don't think I've ever interacted with this neighborhood. Huh. And I thought about that, and over the course of the week that I've been here, I would say half, probably half the time I've been here, I have literally just been in my car and walking. I mean, walking and then driving, just going everywhere. And the realization... Mm -hmm. I, oh, good omelet. Right here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I realized that... In, in terms of that phrasing, I've interacted with almost every fucking neighborhood in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, like, as I'm driving around, I was like, yeah, I did a show there. Yeah, I was in a show there. Yeah, I had a sex with a woman in her apartment over there. I mean, it was just, thank you very much. Just let me a little funny. Thank you. And, and, and I realized, oh, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of me has been created, formed, whatever, in Chicago. So there, that is not insignificant. Um, yeah. And I don't know, and that, that's one of the things before I told you this, before I came here, I don't think I would have ever even considered the idea of moving back to Chicago. Um, Maybe. And, well, and the thing about it is, I don't... That was never considered. That was yeah, like, I, I don't know if I'm going to move back to Chicago, because one of the things that I have to contend with is, all right, do I want to move back someplace where I am known? I mean, I, like, you know fucking city of three million people what are the odds that i'm going to be walking down michigan avenue and five random people are going to recognize me that's well, fucking crazy today yeah We're turning a corner there's some dude walking by on his headphones for a morning walk and you said oh that's whoever the hell it is jack Bronis. and i knew jack Bronis from back in the day and i mean he looks like shit but 
again, it was him. And what are the odds, again, in a city of three million yeah. people that I could just randomly be in a car and see some dude on the street and go, oh, I know that guy. That's, see, that's fucking that's crazy. 30 years of work. Yeah. 30 years of life put in. So the question that I have is that, is that when I inevitably leave Wichita, um, you know, and that, that is inevitable because, and it's not that I don't love my family deeply. It's just that I don't, I don't want to live in Wichita. I don't like, I don't like Wichita very much, right. but there's not enough for me to do. However, my question is, is it better to go someplace where no one fucking knows me? I know no one. And it's all brand new discovery, which I kind of tried with Las Vegas, but there is a caveat to that. Or go back to a place where I'm, I'm comfortable. I know all the places. I'm familiar with this. There are people that some that hate my guts and some people who love me. You know, I mean, it's like, do I? That's the question. Yeah. And right now, again, if you'd asked me a week ago, it would have been go to Denver or any place other than Chicago. But now that's definitely like Chicago is definitely right up there. It's like, okay, well, then that changes the equation a little bit. It's been a good experience. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, there's... Because the adventure that you seem to always seek would present itself with you moving back to Chicago. Because you would be moving back to Chicago a different kind of... Time, a totally different kind of... Yeah. With a lot of lessons learned. And even when you left Chicago, there was like a... There was a weight... Like a lot of dead weight that you were trying to shake off. Yeah, well, then, you know, everything's got that a dead weight is way fucking gone now. Yeah, well, even if it's not gone, it, I, I know where to avoid it. I know where it's at to avoid. And that's a good, you know, that's a good thing. One of the things I recognize, again, in that perspective thing, and I didn't think I would, you know, again, you just got to change your perception. You got to change your environment to kind of look at things from a different angle. And one of the things I realized was, so what's the difference? Because I'm probably going to do this for the next 15 years is try to figure out what the fuck went wrong with my marriage. Yeah. But one of the things, and I hope that's one of the things I, I did recognize. Yeah. All right. Uh, my friends love me. My family love me. This shit's getting boring. It's I'm even getting bored with my... Uh, so it's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to compartmentalize it and keep it to myself because Jesus Christ. But I recognize that when it's been dealing with this shit alone, like, yeah, we talk about it at least once a week. We record this. Plenty more than that. You've got other people you've been talking to, but you've not, you've been on your own. It's been through screens and phone calls. Yeah, and even being home with your parents. And your sister with your friend. that's different than being among friends and it's like, a different kind of socialization bar with your mom no no I'm, yeah there's a different it's social and needed for the healing process yeah the kind of person i mean not everybody you, well i need that social well it's like yeah. that poor joe one night uh i uh, and i'll get to this because i did i think it's an important point but one one night when had uh barbecue and rye with allison king and joe came and we were hanging out and all of a sudden after about two rides i started baiting Joe. I know that's what I was doing. I was saying provocative shit. You're a good friend. To just piss him off so that we could get into a big, like, political debate. And I felt bad afterwards. But my excuse, and I did apologize to Joe, it's like that, I was I was a real asshole. But the only excuse that is that for the last six months, with the exception of, like, talking to you weekly and, and you know, any kind of phone calls, 
and having my parents to talk to, I haven't been socialized. I have not had right. conversations with people in public spaces and just kind of hung out. So I forgot how to do it, and I got a little drink in me, and I went, I'm going to go here because I got all these bad ideas I want to kind of just throw out and see what he says. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed was the difference between the five years that she and I were here and the three and a half years that we were in Vegas was that when we were here, she was a part of my life. But I had built 25 years of life that I that I owned, that I just lived. I, I had a life outside of her that she was an, an addition to. When we went to Vegas, she was my whole life. Yeah, She was everything. And I don't think she was comfortable with that. I don't think that's what she wanted or anticipated. She didn't know how to com communicate it to me. And I certainly didn't know that that was the way it was going to go. Yeah. But it is, we were talking this morning before we started recording, before we left the house, about lessons learned from an experience. And I was in the shower at your house and it suddenly hit me because it's like, I'm looking for lessons that in moving forward in my life that I can actually pragmatically employ in my future. And one of the things that occurs like, all right, so, I mean, the lesson that I learned from that experience is just don't trust fucking women. Don't trust anybody. Right. That's a shitty and non-pragmatic lesson. Tool up twos. Yeah. It doesn't help me. You know, I mean, it's maybe it's accurate, but it doesn't help. And I went, okay, what if it's like, okay, I went into the ocean and I almost drowned. I mean, I came very close to fucking going under and drowning. Well, I get out. One lesson is never go into the fucking ocean. And that's, I mean, it's, they'll save my life, but it's not pragmatically helpful and it's kind of obtuse because there's a lot of fucking ocean in the world. I mean, there's more ocean than there is land. It, it removes a big part of experience. It just distracts me. Yeah. Or a more pragmatic lesson is, how about you learn to fucking swim? And yeah. that's a, and so I haven't figured out what that swimming lesson is in this situation, but at least now I know that I'm looking for that lesson rather than the, oh, the world sucks and I have no place in you it. You gotta go through that. You have to go through the world sucks and I have no place in it. I mean, it's all part of the human process. Again, the story that I wrote, David Himmel's Guide to Breakup, that you shit all over, like three weeks before your marriage fell apart. You know, go back and read it again, buddy. Because this is exactly what you're going through. I know. I was right. You were. But the swimming lesson thing, I mean, it's a, that's a great example because if you're just off the beach, and you drown. Like, yeah, learn to swim, dummy. That was stupid of you. If you're in a shipwreck in the middle of the ocean, knowing how to swim isn't really a life-saving thing because you're gonna, you might die of exposure. So learn to float, but just, I mean, learn to swim, yeah, it just extends your life so you can suffer longer through exposure or hope that the sharks get you or whatever. But still, have the tools in place because you know bad things are going to happen and you hope that when you're at risk of drowning in the ocean it's close enough to shore that you can swim back and not in the middle of the atlantic where there's no hope well the thing is even when you're in the middle of the atlantic i mean i talked about this there's a book called the survivors club and if we did show notes i would link to it but i'm not going to because we never do any show notes anyway what's your new year's resolution yeah um but it's basically about people that have survived that kind of thing. And there's one story about a guy 
plane crashes or a boat crash. I don't know what it, the specifics are, but he's the only one. There's like 30 people in the water. He's the only one that survives. And at the end of the day, the reason, his reason, like he thinks he survived. I mean, because ultimately, who else are you going to ask? He's the only one fucking out there. But he literally <laughs> is like a life jacket floating. Yeah. His perspective is that he just, <coughs> excuse me, never gave up. He never lost hope that he totally was going to survive. He knew in his mind, there was no question in his mind that despite the fact that he's out in the fucking ocean, maybe hundreds of miles from anything, that while people were dying around him, he was going to make it. And there is something to that, is that that determination that I'm not going to suffer. This hurts. And I'm, and I'm you know, but I'm going to... That's I, not I'm real. Gonna, well, it's optimism. But optimism... Years ago... And it may not be real, but he did survive. Yeah, but that's like saying... That's like if you go into a, a, a history test. You didn't study before, you don't know the shit at all, and you just guess on everything. You just built, you know, you abacadabra the whole thing on your scantron, and you aced it. It's just a lot of the things are just dumb fucking luck. And so when I was editor of Chicago Health Magazine, I was meeting with a new columnist, and got on the topic of positivity. My grandpa, at the time, my grandfather had just died from cancer. Okay. I can remember when they brought in the hospice bed, they were getting it set up, and he said to the nurse, she's like, in the bed, people come out of this, right? And she looked at him and kind of looked at me, and I noticed the look on her face, which was like, oh, fuck, I have to have this conversation. Yeah, no, no, they don't. Not this. And I think he caught it, because he's like, like, I could get out and, like, walk to the bathroom, right? And the woman said, I've seen people do that. So my grandfather had this optimism that he won't be, he won't spend his last remaining weeks, whatever it was at the time, bed, yeah. shitting and pissing in a bedpan, and he'd get at least one, you know, I'm gonna get up and go take a crap like a, like a normal, healthy man. That's, that was his optimism. Well, he died from cancer, eventually, and not long after that conversation, and I was talking to the, the columnist about it, and her whole thing is like, she's a life coach, and she's, you know, one of, one of these, and uh, and she was saying, like, well, your grandfather just didn't have enough will to live. And it took everything I had not to shatter my plate right. and shove the shards in her fucking eyeballs and her throat. Because that's a whole fucking thing to say. And no, I'm sorry, but does positivity help? Does optimism help as you're going through cancer treatments and hard times and fear and being alone in the ocean after your plane crashes? Absolutely. It's much better than going, well, I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to die. No point in fighting it. But optimism is not the reason that you live. The reason he lived is because he was there without, there was enough, um, he was not there long enough to be to, for exposure to get him. A rescue ship found him, like all these other See, I would argue, I would, I would go one step further. I think you are absolutely 100% right that optimism doesn't necessarily change the outcome. But if your grandfather, as an example, basically was convinced, knew in his mind, he was never, ever going to get up and go take a piss on his own. If he just was like, that's it, I'm fucking dead, well then I would guess that however long it took him from that moment until two weeks later when he died, 
that two weeks would have been fucking miserable. Right. And a, uh, and a horrifying experience. And why not just fucking, already yeah? Why not just take a fucking pickaxe and stick right. it in your fucking eye? Right. And so my perspective is, while that optimism and that almost blind hope may not change the outcome, it makes getting to the outcome bearable and sometimes preferable. Yes. yes. And so my perspective is, yeah. Did, did, and, and I would argue that the guy in the ocean was his belief that he was going to be saved really merited by any kind of reality? No. But there's also the argument to say that if he had given up at any point in that time, right. then when that rescue did come, he'd be dead. But you can't mistake good thoughts and, you know, what is that, that fucking book, The Secret? Oh, fuck you. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Manifest your you fucking manifest reality. And sort of property like, shit. Yes, envision what you want and then get up on grass and go get it. Going for creative walks and taking creative naps so you can sit with your thoughts is not going to get you anywhere. No. It doesn't fucking do anything. And having a will to live. I mean, what are you going to tell a fucking... Jesus, Katie's sister who died from a brain tumor that she just didn't have the will to yeah, live? Yeah, that's crap. That's oh, crap. yourself and die. Kathleen, there. <laughs> it's just not... But yeah, like you, I mean, you said this before, like, and I've said, if you're the most optimistic person I know, and I wish I had your optimism, because your optimism isn't annoying, because it's based in reality. Yeah, it's, it's more pragmatic, although, and you know, I've had this conversation. And it's very optimistic, right? Well, now. it's one of those weird things, like at Haymarket, it was very interesting. It's like, you know, I'm, I've caught myself, and how I tell the story, and how I share the information, as I do it and then I get away from it, it's like, uh, how did I tell people at WBEC? Because I did. How did I tell the way we don't tell me group? You know, it's like, as I, I, I look at how I'm performing, because I am, I'm performing. Yep. And one of the things that's very funny is like at Haymarket, you give me a little bit to drink and, and at some point you ask the wrong question. You're, you know, there's performance, it's funny, we're making jokes about my, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then somebody asks the question, and I and I drop all the bullshit. Did that happen the other night? Oh yeah, yeah. Where did that happen? It was at Haymarket. I mean, it's happened a couple times, but at Haymarket, it was sort of like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then it was like, hey, if you want to know, how I really feel. It was like, for the first time in 56 years, I'm 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 having to confront what it's like to be a human being and have zero optimism about my personal future. And that's not just me saying it. It is, there is a void. It's broke. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how it grows back because I've never been without it before. But are you feeling better now? Like after this trip, after the gravity has sucked I am itself. absolutely feeling better. I don't know if I'm optimistic, but there is, there is, there's new lessons. There's new information. I've had some time to kind of look at who I've been, where I'm going, you know, and it, you know, it's like, that's why that would when you when somebody's like, oh, Dunn's laughing about his prostitute ex-wife and his life blowing up, and then all of a sudden they say, so how are you feeling? Well, I, I don't want to die, but I, I don't have anything to live for. Yeah. And they get this look on their face, like, and it's like Diane Castile going, is Dunn okay? Yeah. Does he need a therapist? I mean, you know, I mean, I get it. No, I don't need a therapist. It would do no fucking good. Um, and I would not enjoy it and I would be resistant to it so it wouldn't work it's fine however finding more information and more importantly 
doing things. I mean, coming to Chicago was an active choice. I didn't really know what I was going to get out of it, but I knew I wanted to do it. I don't know if I had to do it, but I was like, yeah, I want to do it. But it turns out this was... I don't have the answers. I'm not sure what I've gleaned from this, what clarity I've gotten, but I absolutely guess what? You got feel 12, fucking you got better. You ride on the highway. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've, got, an, and I've got another, yeah, I've got another 12-hour ride to Wichita where yeah. I will have time to kind of think through this stuff and maybe I'll get some answers. And maybe I won't get answers, but Jesus, it doesn't that's matter. That's literally what I just said. I know. I just hadn't, I was processing you understand the concept of processing information? Where, yeah, you, you say a thing and I go, yeah. And then I say the same thing and right. then you go, exactly. And then you say the same thing. I think that's good. <laughs> and now, we're sack of the news. All right, your first thing this week. Divers discover a piece of the space shuttle Challenger at the Atlantic Ocean. Was it Christy McCullough's arm? No, it was her lesson plan. Okay, then. <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah, I was there. I actually, the thing is, she came from McPherson, Kansas, so I actually had met her before as a kid. Really? She was a teacher, and we used I, to debate. We used to, you know, so I, I, I mean, I dated a girl, I think my sophomore year, from McPherson High School. Okay. So I had met this teacher. I mean, I didn't know. At the time, it's not like I went, oh, by the way, I know you're just some random fucking teacher at this school, but you're going to die in a fucking challenge. spectacular way. Red rum. Yeah. No, it wasn't that. But then when she died, it was like, holy fuck. And there were a lot of people. No, but you said it to her anyway, because you were a weird kid. I'm fucked up, yeah. But, no, I think it's... I mean, they found a piece of the Challenger, and what's the first time that they found anything in 37 years? Yeah, well, and most just, and, wild, and, yeah. and most people um, of, of voting age that, that refuse to vote um, don't even know what the Challenger is. So we know what it is. I mean, we knew what Apollo was, but yeah, well, Apollo we Apollo read we read and didn't have fucking TikTok, so I'm pretty sure they don't even know what the fuck that is. Where were you when? When Challenger happened. High school. And, uh, were you watching it on TV? Or no, I wasn't in high school. I was in college. January of 86. Yeah, I was in college. Um, I was very likely hungover, but I remember sitting in uh, a room with a bunch of people. And, were you watching it live? Yeah, we were watching yeah, okay. it live. Yeah. And, and, it, and it just was a fucking like, whoa. Yeah. And then as the news unfolded, that was when it became like, and I, it was interesting because usually I'm the first one to say, let me tell you how I'm involved in this. Yeah. But I didn't tell anybody that I'd met her. I just was just like, and I, I think probably I just went and drank a lot more because it was college and I was drunk. I was in first grade. We were all in, yep, we were all in the library and there was like, I, I remember one TV, you know, on the cart, 1986 TV on the AV cart. Yep. Because obviously, you know, a teacher was there and like that was the whole point of them doing this. That was a big deal, yeah. Teacher, yeah. Yeah. I I don't remember what I felt, but I remember thinking like, oh shit, that doesn't look right. And then like judging from the teachers, like some and I don't know what happened next, but I do remember like being there and seeing it happen. Alright, your next thing this week. US judge in Texas strikes down Biden's student debt relief plan. Everything in, in government right now is going to be adjudicated by courts. It's going to work. Adjudicated, oh, adjudicated by courts. courts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so everything is going to be, oh, here's a judge that just struck this down. 
here's another judge that said that judge is full of shit back and forth that's how it's going to be i don't ultimately think what i think is going to have to happen is because i don't know that when we're recording this I don't know if the Republicans are going to take the House. I mean, if they do, it's going to be barely. Or the Senate, which if they do, it's going to be barely. I'm hoping not. But whatever it is, if we want that kind of thing to happen, Congress is going to have to make it a law. Because we're no longer in the world where you can have an executive order that does not get ripped to shreds. It has to be a law. Congress has to enact it. I mean, that's the thing with Roe v. Wade. It almost has to be democratic. It kind of has to be democratic. It's like Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a terrible judgment. I mean, it was the right outcome because it yeah. made a constitutional right, but it was just on a razor-thin margin. What's nice about them striking it down, if there is a glass half full, is that Michigan and Kentucky and Virginia are saying, fuck you, we're going to make sure that abortion is, is absolutely legal to have in our state. I'm so that is a great That is a great outcome. That's the outcome. If you wanted to have abortion be a right that everyone can enjoy, that is absolutely in, 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 uh, inviolable, it has to be that the states yeah. all agree. And so that's happening, which I think is a good thing. So... Here's yeah, do I, think the student, do I think the student debt thing is going to happen? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little while longer. And ultimately, he already opened Pandora's box. Nobody's fucking paying shit back anymore. Well, so a quick side of like one of the really good things about the Kentucky and Michigan states making the law that abortion is legal. I love it. Is it teaches us a lesson on judging states because, like, holy shit. You know, maybe the, the I mean, Kentucky, like Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, like Jesus. Kansas, Kansas before that. Kansas before that, right. Yeah. So that's a lesson learned is that not all the states that we think are just hateful, racist, misogynistic are, are that, except for Florida and Arizona. So the other thing that I don't understand about the student debt thing, and I can't figure it out, is the government, when they cancel student debt, are they not... The, the loaners? No. So it's just like, hey, you well, loaned out money. The thing is, you didn't. You obviously didn't read the executive order. He didn't say that if you took out a loan from a private bank, if you took out a grant or, or got a loan from a private bank, those aren't erased. And somebody has to pay he that. eliminated the federal government version. So basically, oh, the American right, right, right. people okay. are paying for it. It's already been paid for. Who's going to pay the federal government back, but the federal government, that's not... Yeah, so it just that's basically right. means we're erasing your debt, and the taxpayers right. ultimately paid it. Well, so, and I love the argument that, well, I have to pay mine off. Great, you know what? Your grandparents didn't have the kind of cancer care that you have now, so you know what? You're not getting that either. And you can suffer through your fucking eyes. Like, it's See, my, it, like, my answer isn't even the, about that. It's like, well, I had to pay mine off. And what good did it do you? You live in the fucking life of Riley? Because anybody that's living the life of Riley doesn't give a fuck what, what their taxes pay for. But if you're bitching enough that you're like, well, I had to pay for my thing. Well, I bet, did your degree really, uh, did it do all the things you wanted to do? Are you a prince among men? Are you fucking, you know... No, you're just working a fucking job at a Walmart, so shut the fuck up. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. Yeah. 
I want to give you the headline. Well, yeah, we'll just give you the Sean Penn. Oh, God. Already. <laughs> Sean Penn hand delivers one of his Oscars. Sean Penn hand delivers one of his Oscars to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky in Ukraine as a symbolic token amid the country's war against Russia. And Zelensky took the Oscar and in a symbolic gesture threw it really hard at a Russian tank. War's over. That's it. It bounced off. The Russians all got out and went, Sean Pin, Sean Pin, Sean Pin. Oh, and then they, they jumped out and they fell upon the, you know, and worshiped the Oscar. The picture in this story yeah, is fucking um, USA Today that found this here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of Penn and Zelensky, they just look like the two broiest bros. And Sean Penn's like. He's all bulked yeah. up. His arm looks like Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he's, he, it looks like, like it's like all he's been doing is taking steroids. Is the Stallone. thing is, there's steroids, they guarantee there's steroids in there. So here's the thing. So this is what um, Penn said. It's just a symbolic, silly thing. But if I know this here, but I, if I know this is here, then I'll feel better and strong enough for the fights. The actor and activist told Zelensky. Penn also advised Ukraine's president to return the Oscar statuette to Malibu quote, when you win. <laughs> and Joe James took his broken Emmy and presented it to. I don't fucking care. Is Joe an Emmy? Yeah. For what? Children's uh, television. No shit. Yeah, regional regional Emmy. Nice. Yeah. All right, what else we got? What else is going on? Uh, another NASA story. NASA delays Artemis launch as tropical storm Nicole nears Florida. It's going to happen more and more because every time they plan something, uh, there's going to be a wildfire, a hurricane, uh, earthquake, uh, never gonna be able to polar bears that are really fucking pissed off, whatever. Because the planet is going to beat us first. The planet's not going to let us leave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Here's another one. Making daylight saving permanent could drastically reduce deer collisions. Study is saying. Well, you know, here's the thing. I don't like deers. Do you like deer? Or deer. I don't like deer or deers. I don't have a problem with deer. I don't know even where I was going with that. Um, I think uh, they're never going to get rid of daylight savings. Daylight savings is some fucking carryover when when what the almanac was how you got your news. Um, you know, it, it's inconvenient, but everybody bitches about the. It's not that inconvenient. I mean, you know what's inconvenient for me? In the fucking Zoom era, that fucking New York is three hours ahead and fucking California is three hours behind. And what the fuck time is it? Yeah. That's more annoying to me than fall back and spring forward. I just like, fuck off. I don't care. Bake it so that everybody's got the time same. So when I get up and I went, I'm going to call my friend in New York City and it's eight o'clock where I'm at. And fuck you. It's eight o'clock where they're at. And then nobody eight o'clock to do that thing overnight. That's fine, but make it the same because it's inconvenient for me. Because is it really oh, that's what we're so talking about? Don, Don saving. Well, that's what I'm saying. Aren't we really talking about people just kind of being inconvenienced and trying to make a big stink about it? Well, there's more to it because this goes back to the circadian rhythm and sunrise, sunset, and how you're. Yeah, how exactly. Your body works. And yoga and take a breath and fucking take some crystals. Sure, yeah, rock and, and roll. Having enough will to live through the cancer. Exactly, right through the cancer. Except that. Circadian rhythms are an actual thing. 
optimism sounds like a retinal disease. Focus. Yeah, no, see, I saw Circadian Rhythm. They were a decent punk band, but... Uh, <laughs> they played really fast. They were very fast, and I fell asleep. It was and crazy. they shows in trees. Yeah, and I, you know. All right, your final Rorschach this week. California man eats 10 Carolina Reaper peppers in 33 seconds of Guinness World Record. You know, here's the thing. I went to King's Spot over this trip. Yeah. And one of the things that I was curious about was, you know, they had the big sudatorium, the giant, like, 240-degree, like, fucking burn your fucking eyeballs off, don't wear your glasses or it'll melt your head kind of, right? And when I was in Chicago, um, when I would go, I would go in there, and I, I, I did. I was almost scared to go into that fucking thing because it was so goddamn hot. And I was like, oh. Do they I have would, a polar plunge pool, too? Huh? Do they have a plunge pool for, the, like, the freezing cold Well, too? in that one, they have, they have an ice room ice right okay. next to it. So that's how that works. But, um, so, I, you know, it's like, but used to, I'd go in there, and it was like, oh, I can only handle it for, like, a minute. Oh, my God, it's so fucking hot. I think I'm going to die. Well, I wondered after three and a half years of living in the desert, how that would affect me. And so Joe and I were at the King's Spot and we went in and I sat down and Joe looked at me and said, how are you doing? I said, well, it's like taking out the garbage. Um, and later I said, you know, I handled it. Why? Because living in the desert has made me like a man. Yeah. And so I think the thing about the guy eating the carina, he, he, he did it to show, to demonstrate he's a fucking man in a world where men are no longer appreciated where it's all toxic or you nobody, place nobody can say that he exhibited toxic masculinity just that he ingested toxins <laughs> and it's not the same thing but I, I appreciate it there are six things you should do this week All right, my first thing this week, it's a watch, and I'm late to this. There's a new episode, I think season five, new season of the show Big Mouth on Netflix. It's an okay. show about puberty. Yeah. Uh, executive produced and created by Nick Kroll. Very funny. Fucking hilarious. Yeah, very funny. And nails puberty in an even more absurd way than 1015 did. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I like that. I like that too, yeah. Um, this also gets like both the boys and the girls where like people are more focused on the girls. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all the same fucking hilarious misery. Um, yeah, it's so fucking funny. It's just funny. Yeah, it's just straight down like so weird. And yeah, it's really big funny. Mouth on Netflix. All right, my first thing is a watch as well. Um, it is Ty West's X. Um, you can see it on streaming now. You can rent it on Amazon, whatever. But basically, it's Mia Goth. It's, it, it, it is his tribute to sort of the grindhouse movies of the 70s. It is a bunch of sort of 70s throwbacks. One, two of them are strippers. It's a guy that said, hey, let's go rent this house out in the middle of nowhere. In the fucking, and, 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 and we're going to rent this guy's thing and we're going to make a porn film there. And it turns out that the ancient guy got a gun, and uh, and and the wife, her name is Pearl, is sex obsessed, 
and she's like 90 fucking years old. So nobody's having sex with her. But her reaction to being rebuked from sex is to fucking slaughter them. Okay. And it is a great horror film. And I loved it. It's called X. And it is, in terms of a great throwback, it's super fun. I love Ty West. He is making a trilogy. So Mia Goth played her character, and then she also played Pearl. So she played the young woman who's sort of the center of the thing, as well as the crazy, insane old lady that murders everybody. Which, watching an old woman who has no body strength, who has no speed, slowly fucking murder people is fucked up. Well, she's going to play Pearl as a young woman in the sequel, the prequel, and then he's making one called Maxine with three X's of Mia Goth's character in the 80s. And I'm like, I'm fucking all in. I highly recommend X by Ty West in its streaming. So watch it. It's great. It's a great horror film. My next thing is, it's a real... Uh, sure. Why daylight saving time is worse for your body than standard time. <laughs> that is in uh, Washington Post. So there you go. My second thing is a read. It is in unheard.com, which is sort of a British. Uh, it's the closest thing is it says like a British libertarian online thing, but it's called the Viking. War on Woke, and it's by Dominic Sandbrook. And what is very interesting about this, about his take on it is that his take on the Viking, why he calls it the Viking War on Woke, is that you've got all these Netflix things about Vikings, you get the Northmen, you've got all these Viking tales, and they're super popular. But you know who they're really popular with? Children, because oh. children love watching rape and pillage and violence. Yeah. And so it's basically him saying this. That's, why, that's why we have to put on PBS Kids for Harry, because it's pretty much like, count the rapes. How do you spell pillage? It's it, I mean, it, yeah, and so it's his point. It, like I said, I don't know if I agree, but it, basically his perspective, the, the subcat is the Viking war on work. They despised pious, hypocritical do-gooders. I would amend that to they raped and killed pious, hypocritical do-gooders. And I I thought it was a really interesting article and the idea that children (laughs) just love fucking violence and rape and shit says a lot about the human condition. And and I thought that was interesting. So that's... My last interview this week is go to a movie theater and buy tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Well, yeah. Uh, hopefully, it's better than uh, fucking Thor: Love and Thunder, which may or She-Hulk, which both made me want to die. My concern with this movie is because I haven't seen it yet. Time of this recording is that it's going to be complicated. It, like the, the trailers look great. Like, they it looks look like great. a lot of fun, but it looks like there's a lot of story. They're introducing a new bad guy. They're they're also a bad guy who's not always a bad guy in the comics. So like, what so what's is, what's that going to be? Also, well, that Wakanda seems, is a landlocked country. Yeah. Well, I think we have. I'm Tuma hoping. And, I'm, and it's no longer Namer. Apparently, he's called Namor. Yeah. But what I'm hoping is that they continue, and Kugler does that, because uh, what what was it? Is it Killmonger? Yeah. Yeah, that character was a bad guy, but also had really good justification for his perspective. So that made it a really interesting and complicated movie. You know, they, they really shouldn't have killed him. But 
I'm hoping that they take Namor and do the same thing for him, where yeah. he is obviously the bad guy of the film, but there is justification that you comics, can... He is both... He is, exactly. Yeah, so I'm interested to see that. My third thing is a listen. Um, I love Mike Pesca. He does uh, a podcast called The Gist. Did it on Salon, or no, Slate. Slate for years, like seven years, and then he got canceled from Slate because he had a Slack conversation where... Oh, yeah, yeah, they were talking about race and he got canceled. So he started his own thing, Peachfish Productions. The gist is everybody's good. Well, he's added a second um, podcast with uh, a very, very liberal woman reporter and a very, very conservative male reporter. And then he started, he likes to sit in the middle. And it's called Not Even Mad. And it is having contentious debates about cultural issues but not being shitty about it. Really just having arguments without being angry, sort of going back to that William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal where we don't like each other, we don't agree but we're going to be civil. And the thing is, they're all three really smart and really funny and I really enjoy it. So I highly recommend Not Even Mad, Peach Fish Productions, um, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. It's great. I, I've, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And that's the show. Thank you, Quarters, Cornerstone Cafe. Yep. Delicious Gouda and uh, avocado omelet that I had. My eggs were over easy, and hash browns were yummy, and the toast was dry. Got no complaints. I, if you're in Chicago and you happen to be near the beach. The- we're overdoing it. We're way overdoing it. They're not going to buy us breakfast. Fuck. Yeah, they're not going to give us money. How do we leverage this goddamn podcast for anything other than just listen we to us tell talk? them that we said some really horrible things. We said some horrible things about this place. It's a really wonderful thing. And if they want us to say, release the wonderful things, they need to buy our breakfast or give us $60,000 to uh, It's a really expensive breakfast. Well, you know. I think they'd go for the breakfast for the sixty grand. I don't know the manager. I don't know the owner. Who knows? Give it a shot. All right. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Ape Cast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.